Los Angeles is a lonely sort of place Even for a boy's first embrace Let me tell you, I'm out here from a very far away place Oh, for a chance to be a star Nowhere seems to be too far We played here and there for a while I Welcome back, everyone. This is the combo podcast between the Bless You Boys podcast and the Don't Call It a Rebuild, It's a Team Build podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Brandon Day. With me is my other co-host, <laughs> my co-host, Mark Garage. Mark, how's it going tonight? I'm doing well, B. How about yourself? Oh, we're doing just fine. Yep, you know, uh, just 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 kicking it here and uh, waiting for baseball to start up again. We're on a, a, kind of a fits and starts <laughs> schedule these days, depending on what's going on. So, yeah, just, uh, just taking the day to, you know, relax. And, you know, we're going to do a whole lot of uh, looking back at the, the last five weeks of baseball and what's going on and kind of um, kind of give you a mid-season breakdown of what we think about uh, what's going on on each part of the the roster what's going on down in Toledo some of the injuries we'll kind of uh we'll kind of just do a, a little bit of a, a temperature check on the on the whole organization here and um I don't know maybe it'll be two hours long hopefully it won't go that far <laughs> if this is gonna be two hours long you're gonna be doing the last 45 minutes by yourself okay well I feel good about that then yeah we're gonna be we're gonna be sharp and quick <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh Yes, so, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to to talk about a few things, and we can talk about what's good, and lo and behold, there might be a few things I might say a few nice things about, and we'll kind of take a temperature of where we're at. I'm I'm excited to get going. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been a... No, go for it. No, I was going to say, what do you want to what do you want to talk about off the top? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, let's try to just, uh, yeah, you know, there there have been some things that have been good, um, at least you know compared to my expectations coming into the season. But um, we can get to that. Let's let's talk about the big news here because obviously uh, Al Vila did his little Zoom press conference yesterday and bummed us all out um, with the news that Matt Manning and Alex Fiedo, um, two of the Tigers' top pitching prospects, um, in particular Matt Manning have been shut down with um, what they're calling what mild forearm strains, um, which sends a bolt of terror throughout anyone who knows a whole lot about pitching and, and pitching injuries. Um, so we have that. And, um, you know, and then we find out that they don't seem to have any plans to promote Jake Rogers, um, which made me want to break a few things. Um, let's start with those things. Um, how how concerned are you about Matt Manning and Alex Fajardo right now, especially um, – with your your kind of lengthy history of shepherding a injured pitcher <laughs> through uh, through youth baseball in college, right? To make it brief, um, father of a pitcher that threw hard, father of a pitcher that went to see the doctor a lot. <laughs> so, um, anytime I hear the word forearm strain, I, I get concerned, and I get concerned because yeah. A decent part of the time, rest and rehab makes it go away, and uh, you feel a lot better, and you return to throwing well, okay? But a huge part of the time, it's a precursor to your UCL being irritated. It's probably pretty thick by now. It's probably got scar tissue and all kinds of other micro tears going on in there, and Usually a forearm strain is a precursor to things farther up into your elbow that are not good. And when guys haven't thrown an inning for the Detroit Tigers and they're experiencing some 
discomfort in their forearm and their elbow, it makes me concerned. And I think you and I have discussed this many times, both in print and, and on podcast. It's why I don't hold pitching prospects back when they're ready to start pitching. I get it. You want to hold them for an extra year. Okay. But much beyond that, it's just pure greed and selfishness of a team because you're wa- any inning you waste beyond that is an inning you wasted because these guys can get hurt. They can be not good. They can be Kyle Wright. They can be lots of things, and pitching prospects don't work out no matter how good they are, and they get exposed to injury. And so it's, to me, foolishness when you start holding guys back more than you should. And, you know, plenty of that went on this year. We can touch on one on a Thursday, Alavila tried to bamboozle foolish baseball people into thinking that Casey Mize wasn't ready and he was starting in a game on the following Wednesday. So, yeah, I mean, it comes uh, down to like that ready real, real fast. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a miracle really. Um, yeah. I mean, it comes down to sort of that, like, you know, fantasy, like roster building, you know, doing this on paper sort of, sort of attitude where you don't really think about the realities um, too often. And yeah, I mean, there's if Casey Myers is ready to pitch, and we all know he's major league ready, and that's the last step for him is that he just needs to learn how to get major league hitters out and be consistent and keep himself healthy. You don't mess around with that. You don't wait, you know, until your perfect, you know, plan comes around in 2022 where you have all these guys coming up on your timetable. Pitchers, pitchers develop on their timetable and their and their own body's timetable um, beyond even what they have any control over. So yeah, when a dude is pitching well, you have to develop them and and promote them aggressively then, uh, because yeah, you can you can find yourself waiting for years, um, like you have with Franklin Perez. Um, Franklin Perez, when he does pitch, looks very much like the same guy he was when he was 19, like almost major league ready, like you know if he's healthy and throwing well, could probably you know do some work for you in the bullpen. Um, but you know over three years, you haven't been able to get anything out of him. So if he's healthy and throwing well, you should probably pitch his ass in some games um, and, and, and see and, what and goes I, on. <laughs> and I'm hope and I'm hoping he will. Yeah, and, me too. Know, to be really honest with you, look, no, no offense to Bo Burrows. And I've had nice things to say about Bo Burrows when we've discussed this with Cody many times, I, I, I saw some surprisingly decent outings a few times that he threw this year, but at this point in time, his stuff has regressed from that point, And, you know, yes, he's in Toledo, but you know the next the next pitcher up for the Detroit Tigers. If it's if it's not Franklin Perez, I'll be worried something's not wrong, not right. Because you know, I'm sure if he is healthy, he's going to go to Fall League. I'm positive that's their plan. But I'd like to see him against major league hitters. Just like what's really disappointing for me now about Manning not being able to really throw this fall is. Manning was facing some adversity for the first time in his career this year. I mean, he, yep. he got he got hit a few times. And I wanted to see if some of the tweaks that he had made to try to improve his fastball command and the consistency of his of his breaking pitch and hopefully maybe tinkered around experimenting with an, a new breaking pitch, he doesn't get to do any of that now. So it, you know, I, I'm sorry about that. And I also, I think, we've, you know, I'm not, how do you feel about Fado as a prospect? Are you still, do you still like him or are you, you 
diminished in expectation now or where are you stand with that? Yeah. I mean, some of this comes down to like trajectory because I, you know, and I, I think maybe you did too. Like, I mean, I started from a place of, of not being real happy with that selection. Um, always was pretty critical of, of his delivery and, you know, kind of the, the, the closed off, you know, like the bad posture, um, a very flat running fastball that looked like it was just going to get absolutely murderized. Um, and that was, you know, and that was where he was when they took him. And then, you know, year two, his fastball velocity is down to 90, you know, 91. Yeah. We're worried. Four miles an hour. Right. Yep. And then, you know, last year, things turned around. Um, he improved his posture. He, you know, started standing up straighter. He wasn't arching his back. Um, he wasn't collapsing toward the third base side. Um, he, he did a lot of things that looked pretty good to me and get, had his arm in a better position, um, higher up, looked like he was getting more carry on the four seamer and his velocity was back in the, you know, 93, 94 range. Um, and the slider still looked very, very, very good, like a very strong major league quality weapon. So, um, you know, putting all that, you know, that history into one quick soundbite. Yeah. I mean, I still am interested in him as a reliever. Like I don't. I don't look at him and think he's got the, the durability to go out there and throw, you know, 94, you know, consistently um, over an 100 pitch outing in the major leagues and still be able to break off good sliders. And we still haven't really seen uh, much consistency from the changeup with him either. Although you could say that about Manning um, to some degree as well. Manning's had a couple nice stretches with it, but hasn't been able to really lock that pitch in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have more interest in Alex Fido than I do in Bo Burrows or Kyle Funkhauser, to kind of put it in that, that context. But, yeah, I mean, I still, I still think there's a lot of questions. And now you've got this injury. Um, you know, we'll just have to see how it, how it turns out next year. But, you know, Alex Fido, to me, has, has one thing, maybe, you know, and this can go up and down for a pitcher, too, I, I'm sure. But he has one thing I haven't seen from, you know, necessarily Burrows and Funkhauser, which is... You know, we've seen him in a big game, like, want the ball and pitch amped out of his mind and throw strikes and dominate um, and uh, and look really impressive. Um, and, you know, when you see that from someone, it gives you a little bit more of a sense that there's something underlying, you know, their character where they're going to fight through some things um, and, and be able to kind of persevere. So I like Alex Faito. Um Yeah, I just, you know, something would have to really change to make me think that he's a starter. But I do think there is a, a relief career there um, that is still very much available to him if he stays healthy. I, I think that, in a, you know, quickly, I don't know what Alex Fado is. I do, do love that he's kind of got some swagginess to the way he pitches because he does. I love, I love last year at Erie when you check his stuff, he... Did not get hit a lot, <laughs> and it's his, he, he had a little bit of a JV type tendency where he either got hit hard or not at all. <laughs> he's got more, he's got more swing and miss than you think, and that he's got. And I think that he has some pitch ability. I think he's going to learn how to manipulate the baseball a little bit more. So I'm I'm kind of open minded to you know do I think he's a starter? Uh, unlikely, but I'm. St- still open-minded about it just like i'm open-minded at this point in time if daniel norris is still a starter we're you know we're not finding out but god bless them uh they'll you know but you know so let's talk a little bit of you know but fado yeah i'm i'm not writing it off yet yeah uh still holding our interest let's just put him that way (laughs) let's talk about jake rogers for a second what what do you what do you think's going on there yeah i mean (laughs) 
It's hard to know. And I guess one thing we need to preface this with is that, you know, there's like a media blackout as far as what's going on in Toledo. And the Tigers are always kind of harsher on this stuff and, and, and tougher with their, um, you know, trying to bend the media to their will than, than some other teams certainly seem to be. Um, so we're never 100% sure what's going on down there. Maybe Jake Rogers is hurt, you know, for all I know. But assuming that he isn't, I... I just get the feeling that the Tigers, you know, don't like him um, to some degree. Like, they seem to be on the outs um, a little bit. Because for all the struggles Jake Rogers had at the plate last year, um, and which he's, you know, seems to have pretty diligently tried to address by going to work with Doug Lotta last offseason, um, cutting the kick out of his delivery, changing his posture and his hand set up a little bit. Um, you know, he, he seems to have been open to what the Tigers wanted him to do, which is to strike out less and, you know, try to spray the ball around a little bit more, not just swing for the fences. Um, Jake Rogers seems to have come here with a very, you know, Houston Astros, you know, kind of perspective. I mean, he looks like that kind of player. He was going to draw walks and he was going to swing for the fences when he swung. Um, and other than that, you know, they don't expect a whole lot more out of a catcher down there. Um, they don't expect him to, you know be running a 380 BABIP or whatever Austin Roman is, is, is running and hitting 280 or necessarily. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really understand how they could look at the situation and think like, uh, you know, Griner's a better fit at the major league level right now. You know, we're, I mean, are we trying to develop Grayson Griner? Because I, I don't really think there's too much of, you know, question about whether or not Grayson Griner is really anything more than, you know, a decent backup, you know, kind of a third catcher type guy. Uh, and the fact that they don't have Jake Rogers up here working with Austin Romine, who seems like he would be a fine mentor to Jake Rogers as far as game calling goes in particular, um, it, it troubles me. Yeah, I mean, th- that bothers me. You know, the Tigers drafted Dylan Dingler um, with the, in the second round this year. Yeah, they've got him. You know, they've got Eric Haas, uh, which, you know, I don't know if that means anything, but Haas's defense did look better to me than I, than I expected in the spring. We know he's got power and a ton of swing and miss. You know, there's some catching around, but the fact that they've got Griner up, I just don't really see the benefit to the long-term prospects of the team um, to have Jake Rogers just kind of, you know, chill down there, hitting off of Nolan Blackwood and, you know, Franklin Perez and whoever else they've got down there, you know, Nick Garcia. (laughs) I don't really, I'm not really, I'm not really understanding how this progresses the building of the the next good Tigers team. Yeah, well, outside of draft, in the top eight in this year's draft where nobody's played, so you don't really know how good it is, but it seemed like they took the right player at the right time for the first time in their history, which often has little to do with how good they become because then they actually have to play. Um, you know, trusting the Tigers' process and their evaluation skills would be like, trusting, you know, a nine-year-old to drive you to Toledo. So, you know, the the bottom line, what I'm going to say about Jake Rogers is the following. Look, he was not good when they brought him up last year. Let's be blunt about it, okay? Yep, not even defensively. Uh, Even defensively, he was kind of worse than expected. but that, look, at the same time, all right, baseball people, public analysts, you know, professional analysts, writers you know we talk to all of them and it's no different than any other genre of or business that you're in you quickly figure out who's got some aptitude and some good things to say and a good eye for stuff and who doesn't 
in the bottom line about Jake Rogers, you know, I think that, yes, we saw a lot of deficiencies last year, but you saw a lot of things that were kind of weirdly intriguing. He can hit the ball out of the park. When he hits it, it goes out of the park. Um, he can throw like a demon. He's got a lot of swag behind the plate. Lots, real Roman-ish behind the plate. Yeah. Sequences real, really well, which is a huge thing with me. And, you know, when I say sequence, it means understanding what pitch to throw when. And it's more than that. It's understanding during game circumstances what pitch is working for a pitcher, what's not, what to emphasize, what to ask somebody to do when they don't want to, even though you know it's the right thing to do, and getting him to do it and believe in it, or... And reading guess, hitters, yeah. Or, or, yeah. or vice versa, reading hitters. It, it's, it's an aptitude of understanding how to optimize, you know, what a pitcher has on a particular day. Yeah, and kind of and a... To help a get, to help, like a broad to awareness... Yeah, to get outs. That's the that's the whole thing. But yeah, it's, some guys have that awareness, you know, where, where they can focus on a whole lot of different things. They're picking up subtle yeah. signals from everybody. They're always thinking, always processing information. And then you see other guys who get, you know, get that tunnel vision on certain things all the time. Um, McCann was was that way. Of, like you could tell almost. One what, of them they, caught, listen, one of them caught a no hitter the other night. Exactly. And, and I had a tip my hat to the guy, but I yeah. did almost fall off. I, listen, I don't know if you were watching the end of that game. But I saw the I almost, last two innings, yeah. Yeah. How, but I almost fell off my couch. <laughs> it was the 0-2 pitch, and I'm going, do not throw a fastball here. And sure enough, he did, and the guy hit a freaking bullet, and it just happened to carry out the angle, and I was like, oh, thank God. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm saying to myself, I, cannot, I could not believe he even he, – he even, Call for a questionable pitch with two out and two strikes in the ninth inning of a no hitter. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I, yes, you did a great job tonight, but it's so mechanish to have called something like that at that point in time where you just were like, what, what did you do that for? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure he wanted it out of the strike zone, but that is not what you do right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, listen, I thought it was either slider out the plate. Or change up. That's just about as good a change up as you could possibly ever want to. You, you, you know, there are. I, I saw something interesting. To not to get too far off track about Giolito and, uh, you know, the and MLB Network in the mornings. You know, the show is is it's pretty good, and I'm not a huge Billy Ripken guy, but he had a really interesting uh, demonstration technique, and he basically showed using three T's that were separated by a distance to explain, you know, velocity differences. And he was trying to explain what happens when you have like where the bad is. hour difference. Yeah. Where the bad yeah. is. So, at the, each point. Yeah. And so, so the, it was, it was a, the three T's one was at the front of the plate. One was 10 feet in front of the plate. Okay. And that was giving you a, an idea of what a major league hitter sees in a 10 mile an hour difference, you know, how many feet it was. Was. And, you know, Lucas Giolito, <laughs> that changeup, man, uh, it is, it's and from the arm slot he throws it in, it's it's something, it's no coincidence that now that he's kind of locked in that people are really struggling to uh, to hit him. But back to Jake Rogers. Well, well, well and just and just one, one quick thing, another thing to note about Giolito's outing is 
it was it was fastball changeup until about like the fifth inning, maybe the sixth inning. I mean, that, it was just fastball, fucking changeup, changeup, fastball, fastball. He, he <laughs> like he didn't need anything else because you can't see he, the difference coming out unless you have a real good eye for for velocity. Yeah. He threw forty changeups. So, but what I was going to get back to Jake Rogers, what I was going to say to you is, yeah, I thought that it's Jake Rogers is never hitting two seventy five. Okay. But at the same time, what we do know about Jake Rogers is, is that he can hit the ball out of the park. And he will take a walk. And, and he will take a walk. So all you're looking for Jake Rogers to improve upon is, is his contact rate, Yeah, for heaven's sake. If he can strike out 30% of the time and walk 9 or 10% of the time and hit the ball out of the ballpark, even if he's not a regular catcher. He's a guy that can catch 75 games. He's going to get better. He brings a lot to a team. And he seems to me like the kind of guy that's probably going to contribute on a winning team. Okay? So, you know, why he's not here, I'm, you know, maybe they know a lot more than me. It wouldn't be the first time. It would be maybe the second time. But it would it, – it, I just find it very curious. And the fact, look, Eric Haas, I've watched him play since he was in high school. He played at De La Salle here. He's got crazy power. He walks a ton. But basically, I I would beg to differ with you about the defense. I watched him. I've watched him before. I think he's okay on defense. I think his sequencing was not the greatest. And, uh, you know, to me was basically – a very similar version of John Hicks that walked. Yeah. So the fact that I'll tell you what, mainly I expected him to just be like, you know, barely a catcher on the, on the lines of John Hicks. And I thought he was better than that, but yeah, you know, he isn't, he, he's also 27 or something, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's not young. I yeah. mean, but here's the, here's last, you know, look, Cleveland makes very few mistakes about catchers. Okay. They're not just, cutting a catcher that can play because there's a pretty long history of having catchers in Cleveland who are really good. They don't always a hundred percent may not have the highest batting average, but go look at the year Roberto Perez had last year. He was one of the best catchers in baseball. He hit 20 plus homers, walked a ton, and there may not be a defensively a better catcher at both handling pitchers, throwing sequence, you name it. He is, he is just a clinic about how to ma- how to maximize a pitcher behind the plate, and you know it, there were, you know, uh, who's the catcher that catches for for Washington now that they let go when he eventually was uh, there before Perez, Jan Gomes. Thank you, God, because I wanted to because me- I was going to mention him with Cleveland. Okay, so yeah, yeah, Jan yeah, Gomes, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, so look, Jan Gomes was a Jan Gomes had some very good years in Cleveland prior to uh, to Perez taking over. They're 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 you know they are pretty shrewd at who they have behind the plate. And yeah, on the pitching side, yeah, no one is doing it better than Cleveland, and that includes and, yeah, like having the catching pretty well dialed. Exactly. So, you know, my point is, is I, we we were laughing today when we were discussing this that all of a sudden, you know, they are trying to put out a little PR that they like Eric Haas so much and they're not bringing up Rogers, which we've all been around long enough and talked to enough people when they're saying that they're not saying it for no reason. Okay. Yeah. And it was not a compliment. 
I so, get like Jose Iglesias vibes from the way the Tigers talk about Jake Rogers. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's what it feels like. Like they they like personality nah, wise, they don't fear. like him. Yeah, I don't. You know, the Tigers don't like guys yeah. that you know seem to have too much flair or go about things their own way. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you, you know, but the bottom line is, is that then we started and we talked to a few other people, you know, I- industry people and we were like, yeah, uh, it does seem more like Jake Rogers. I bet you Cleveland would like Jake Rogers walks, hits homers, got some swag back there, throws, and it's a good sequencer. Seems like a total Cleveland kind of catcher. That's the weirdest part. So, you know, look, I could see him in LA too with the Dodgers, honestly. So yeah, I, I I don't think there'll be a lack of teams with interest in Jake Rogers, which is a little scary because if you, if you look at, you know, the nature of how teams evaluate, uh, you know, the Tigers are not at the top of the pile. And we'll talk a little bit about that. When we touch on the trade deadline, we can discuss a little bit about, you know, what, what we think and what we saw. Let's just say though, every time, Mr. Alavila comes on television. It does nothing to uh, brighten Mark Gorash's mood because, you know, if I could just my hands start creeping towards the screen, I just want to put my hands around his head and shake him. So it's like, please stop talking. I I, I can't even imagine how the, the the Tiger media, you know, the the public relations department when Al starts talking. Talking, they just must be going. Oh, please, Al! Please, please stop talking, Al. So, because it, it never, it's never good. It always ends up to be in some form where he looks like he doesn't know what he's talking about, or he says well, things that are. And that's the thing they or, they control the whole narrative. You know, like nobody gets like you know random spontaneous access to Al Avila. You know, the, like this is their decision to like go on and do this this press conference. And then to sit there for 35 minutes, like, you know, kind of just ad-libbing and, and spontaneously riffing without really saying anything and just kind of like rotating the, these cliches through. It's just mind-numbing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I do not know sometimes. Do and, not. And, and, and people, just just understand, we're just not two weird bloggers making stuff up. It's, you know, we talk to enough writers, both on this pod and not on this pod on a pretty continuous basis is, you know, we, we do have some feedback and some opinions that are people that are interacting with the hierarchy of the Detroit Tigers. So, you know, is this a thinly veiled way of disseminating information? Well, probably no different than the Tigers are disseminating information to you when they're telling on you that Jake Rogers will not be promoted this year and Eric Haas is all of a sudden their new uh, depth catcher at Toledo. Yeah, but they're, in, yeah, in the but bottom, he's also not going to get the any The bottom time. line is, is that <laughs> we're not just making this stuff up, people, okay? So you, you, we're obviously sharing a little bit of background information on some things that we know from time to time, too. Not that we're you know, to uh, private detectives of baseball, but we no, do but fun. yeah, there's just a way in which like behind the scenes, like attitudes and, and understandings of, of how things are viewed by the people who are in, in rooms just comes through eventually, you know, it's, you know, not, not talking about any specific journalist, not talking about any specific team employee or anything. 
there's just that grapevine that too often turns out to to know something that um you know that never became public so yeah until it finally does and then we're all like oh that's that's what was going on there like that kind of thing just happens over and over again so yeah i mean it's not that it's not that again i've said this a bunch of times i i don't i don't like despise alavila you know necessarily it's just that i don't see what possible like to just be as objective as possible i just don't see what case he really has to hold this job after five years and no one has come close to making you know a a compelling case that you know that that he's done really well um and i'll even give him props that the last you know year or two with the tigers things have seemed to go more soundly you know the drafting has been better they seem like they know what they're doing more in terms of analytics and in terms of, you know, finding some, some people in the development system who might actually have like a real tangible impact and take this club somewhere. But then you, it all comes back down to the decision-making at the top again. And when you hear a whole lot of them, you just, you know, you just get that same sinking feeling in, in your, uh, in your gut. So yeah, but all right, but we're not here to, not here to talk too much about Alvin. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll give you my analogy of the day and, People, if you're tired of listening to me complain about Al Avila, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm tired of listening to me complain about Al Avila. But here's what I'll say to you. Florida Marlins are in fifth place in the National League for a playoff spot. I think Derek Cheater took took over like last Tuesday, okay? They, tra- they traded away Kristen Yelich, Giancarlo Stanton, and uh, Pablo Zuna. Pretty okay? good pitching prospect, yeah. Yeah. Galen. So- yeah, so my answer to you is they gave away every one of their good players, got got very little back in return besides El, Sandy Alcantara, all right? And they seem to be further ahead in their in their team build than we are. And, you know, my answer is when Al Avila starts looking at me saying, yeah, you know, two, two, more, two three more years, we should be pretty good. I'm like, yeah. Okay, because it takes eight years to tear down and build the team back up. It would be the first eight-year team build in the history of the major leagues without somebody getting fired maybe twice. So who are we kidding here, okay? Who are we kidding? The Miami Marlins are ahead in a trajectory of being a competitive baseball team of the Detroit Tigers, and they gave away two all-star baseball players along the way that are still playing it or in their primes, get the hell out of here. I don't even want to have this discussion anymore. All right. So let's start trying to assess what have we seen so far and where we're going. So yeah, real quick. Like, I mean, let's just, uh, let's just give the basics. I mean, the Tigers have had a few games canceled, but they're 13 and 16. They're in fourth place in the AL central, um, two games ahead of Kansas city. They are five games back in the wild card hunt, um, so that you know, with you know, roughly thirty games remaining, that is a, a pretty tall order. Um, not insurmountable for a really good team, but for a team you know that obviously has as many holes, um, you know that that's that's almost the the death kiss. Except for the fact that this season is so goddamn weird, um, you just never know. Like somebody could, you know, some other teams could have injuries, other teams could have a COVID problem. You just you never know for sure, but I don't think either of us is is counting our uh, our postseason <laughs> chances too carefully at this point. Well, you know, the bottom line is is that we started out with a surprisingly good nine and five first fourteen games, a lot of 
clutch hits, some surprising displays of power. Not the greatest pitching, but good enough pitching. The bullpen at that point in time was reasonably reliable across the board, including Joe Jimenez getting five saves, which will still seem shocking as we discuss it now. Um, and, and then, you know, they went 2-11, and 11 and basically you were paying for the pandemic to take you know, stronger hold and cancel the rest of the season because it was just unwatchable baseball at every possible explanation. Aside from the fact that CJ Cron got hurt, and not that CJ Cron was between you and I, you know, setting the world on fire for the Detroit Tigers. He did walk a few times and he hit a few bombs, but he was, you know, hitting sub 200 and you know, I, I keep having to tell myself that he fielded better than my eyes were telling me. A lot of people seem to be happy with C.J. Cron's defense. I kept seeing a bunch of balls go off his glove and one went off his leg. And, you know, when I, when I did my homework, basically, you know, Savant told me that he was league average. So I'm going to accept that fact. And he's been league average, to be really honest with you for the past two seasons. So CJ Cron is an average fielder. I think though is the way we'll like to see it, but you know, the two and 11 in the, in the pitching was just an absolute nightmare, a travesty, a Travis sham mockery. And, uh, you know, in every possible way, the hitting's terrible. They have the lowest walk rate in baseball. <laughs> they have the 27th OBP in baseball. Starting pitching is an absolute mess. Okay. Their closer is basically melted into a puddle and they've had to shuffle their bullpen. So the fact highest, that they have highest strikeout rate in the game, I'll mention that. They have the highest strikeout rate in the game as hitters and one of the lowest strikeout uh, rates in the game as a pitching staff, by the way. Um, you know, in the meantime. And this is, let's, and let's just, you know. Just to leaven this, we all expected that they were going to be bad. Like they've actually, they've out, we can both say pretty clearly that they've outperformed. And like some of these rate stats are are important, but again, like you look at CJ Crone and, and nothing CJ Crone did this year, nothing Jonathan Scope did this year really changes anything about who they are as a player. You're still much better off looking at what they were the last two years coming in because it's essentially. May 5th right now in a normal season and we wouldn't be, you know, and we wouldn't be leaning on these numbers that much, which is why I, I just want to cool the Jonathan Scope, you know, yes. excitement yeah. as well. This is a sub 300 OBP guy who has power and will play you decent defense and is, you know, and has some leadership ability and will will take on that role a little bit. And we'll, and it's not we'll that valuable. And we'll hit the ball out of the park, but he's um anybody that probably is from Baltimore would be chuckling when I get ready to say this right now. And don't forget he played in Minnesota too. And in Milwaukee, he's been on teams that needed him <laughs> and they did not retain him. Yeah. And so what, same with Chrome. Yeah. And, and not by the way, they're really, they're really good teams. So they evaluate pretty well, but the bottom line is Jonathan scope is notoriously streaky as a hitter. Okay. He never walks. And if he wouldn't have, drawn two walks this week it would really 
he'd be he'd be walking almost at one point in time he had walked once in 75 plate appearances and anybody that likes to follow me knows that if you don't walk i will basically drag you behind my car uh and you know until you look like uh you know the dog from christmas vacation because if you can't walk you can't really play on them you're, you're not of much interest as a player to me. It's right. Just, and Andrew and, Romine is going to be the one exception where right. he just does so many other things I can put up with it. But at the same time... Well, and when you, you're one of the biggest power threats on the team as well, and you're not drawing walks. I mean, that you know, there's a free swinger. <laughs> you, just, yeah, you, know, but, you know what it but is. But my, my point about this, the last six games at Detroit Tigers, damn, they played some good bait. They played about three, four really, really professional looking winning baseball games yep. caught the ball you know got add on runs bullpen got outs at the right time relief pitchers in adversity made a pitch to get out of an inning you know all kinds of things that when you win a baseball game and you're not terrible that you do from time to time and they and they did this while the starting rotation was still, for the most part, you know, pretty god awful. I mean, other than Turnbull's start, you know, and Boyd Boyd was better, but you know, by and large, we're still getting like, you know, two three innings out of somebody, and then you know, <laughs> calling Daniel Norris in to uh, to do the job for a few innings, and that's that's been bailing us up. Right, but you know, the bo- the bottom line is they won four out of six against good teams. Okay. And hats off to them. And so they stand at thirteen and sixteen. They're getting ready to play the minute. Minnesota Twins, maybe 16, 18 times in the next three weeks. That'll be a hell of a test because I got to tell you, Minnesota, they really test your pitching staff, and you got a pitching staff that, you know, maybe these last few days off probably might have reinvigorated them more secretly than we're going to give them credit for. But Yeah, because they have been leaning on the bullpen hard. And, um, yeah, this is the time of, of year where you start to start to feel it. You know, that first month you can kind of get by on, like, we're amped, and then reality starts to set in around yeah. this time every year. And, and we were starting to run shorter relievers, not notwithstanding they were already short of starters. So, you know, the, bo- the bottom line is Minnesota's going to be a heavy lift. We'll see how they do, and I'm excited to see where we go from here because my expectations are pretty low. I think when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I thought they'd go seven and twenty-three, just because I'm just that big of an asshole. Okay, <laughs> so they they instead went thirteen and sixteen, and I even alluded to the fact that I thought they would bring up quite a few players for the last thirty games, see starts weaving them in to see what they could do. They did that, and I thought. Because other teams just out of fatigue, boredom, not caring, being injured, uh, etc., that the Tigers could very well go 15 and 15 in their last 30. Now, if they were able to do that, that'd be 28 wins. Kind of creepy for me to even utter these words, but if they win 28 games, they would be within hailing distance of a playoff spot, which is kind of frightening. But at the same time, uh, that is probably the the highest level of upside that I could see over the course of these next few weeks. Where do you, where do you think they're going the next few weeks? Yeah. I mean, so far they've been as entertaining as I possibly could have hoped and really entertainment and seeing, you know, players with team control develop are the only two things that of, of real interest here. We didn't, you know, didn't have any expectations. I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, to some degree, I just expect the twins to just whoop up on them, but you know, one would hope 
that as you get further in here, the rotation will start to come together. Like you would, you know, to some degree, like you would expect to see Matt Boyd, like, you know, figure this out to some degree as he did in the last outing and, and at least be Matt Boyd and not, you know, not April and May of 2019 Matt Boyd, but like career Matt Boyd, like just give me, you know, league average, you know, league average production there. Um, you know, Spencer Turnbull can dominate and can also go completely sideways sort of at any point. You don't really know what you're going to get there. But if you can get Boyd to give you some more length, I think you'll see Casey Mize settle in. And if they can get that far and just take some of this pressure off the bullpen to where they're using their, you know, their four or five best guys optimally instead of, you know, in red alert status where, you know, they're just, you know, pulling whoever else, you know, they've got in their back pocket in there, you know, putting Kyle Funkhauser in tight spots or, you know, someone else who's, you know, Schreiber, um, you know, who we don't really have huge expectations for, you know, if they can avoid that, I think they will probably hang around and, and I think they could probably finish fourth in the division and, you know, and end up, you know, somewhere around like 25 wins. Um, I don't expect the Tigers to necessarily just get walloped by the Twins because for whatever weird cosmic reason, the Tigers don't play that badly against the Twins. Like, they, they usually seem to rise to the, to the occasion against the Twins and at least give them a pretty good fight. Um, so I don't think they're going to get just steamrolled um, based on the fact that they, you know, just took down the Cubs and the Indians who are not, you know, on the Twins level as far as an offense, but you know, overall are fairly comparable teams to the Twins. Um, you know, like very good teams that aren't, you know, aren't world beaters yet. You know, don't you know? Maybe they will beat the world, but don't really have that, you know, that look to their to their entire roster. Um, you know, the Twins still could use some pitching. Um, maybe they'll go out and get some. We'll talk a little bit about you know trade deadline and who might need what a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean. Overall, I, I think they can kind of go on like this. And I think, you know, once you've had, you know, if they've got Paradis in there, you know, that kind of gives you at least another guy who can contribute. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's all, it's just, it is just a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I mean, that's what it is. Like when we look at Tigers wins, a lot of them have involved, you know, the other team just breaking down pitching wise um, or them just stringing together a whole bunch of hits. Like, you know, <laughs> this team has been one that has had a knack for, having eight hits in a game and getting six of them all in one inning um, and then just going completely back to sleep. So that's not sustainable stuff. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really work out for you long-term, but um, I, I could certainly see that the Tigers' arms are a, a group that if used well is, you know, deep enough to, to hang with most of the teams in the division. Well, And that so, might be enough yeah. to hang around. So let's segue into the starting pitching. And by the way, I just looked up the Twins and... Their team ERA is 3.56. They average nine strikeouts per nine. It's, it's so that's fifth in baseball. So and that's I, been pretty I, good. It's you know they they Thad Levine is a pseudo baseball genius. You've heard me many times sing his praises, and I don't know how the Twins do that, but they have a strand rate of 80.4%, which is also just ridiculously good. Let's talk about the, let's talk about the Tigers starting rotation. Possibly fraudulent though as well, but right. yes. Okay. <laughs> team ERA of 583 for the entire team, which is highlighted by a team ERA at, from their starters of 722, which is a full three quarters of a run higher than the 29th ranked team in baseball, the Boston Red Sox, 
who lost virtually every starter they had besides Nathan Eovaldi to injury and even every starter they had's relatives. I don't even know <laughs> half the starting pitchers on the Red Sox, and that is highly unusual for me. Yeah, Zach Godley, who the Tigers released, could have been their number two. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so at. the Detroit Tigers are averaging 7.93 strikeouts per nine as a starting staff. Uh, that ranks them uh, 24th in baseball, and they've thrown 104. How many innings did I had this the other day? They've thrown 114.2 innings, and the two teams below them are the Marlins and the Cardinals, so they don't count because they haven't played. So the Tigers have thrown the fewest innings. They have a <laughs> they they have the worst walk strikeout ratio in baseball. They're average. Eight strikeouts, 7.93, and 4.4 walks per nine. They they are the team allowing the second most home runs in baseball as a starting staff. Yep. Okay. In you know, without belaboring this, the bottom line is their starters have been just an abomination. Okay. Every one of them, except for Spencer Turnbull, has been terrible. You know, hence why they brought up Mize and Tarek Skubal. I, I, do I think their starting pitching is going to improve? Oh, I think it'll improve substantially in the next 30 games. I have a slightly different opinion of Matthew Boyd than you. My, my opinion of Matthew Boyd is the following. Every year, he has two good months. He has four terrible months. The two good months are back-to-back, and I would, since he had four terrible, he actually had five terrible months in a row pitching that encompassed almost 30 starts uh where he's one of the worst starters in baseball not one of the worst starters in you know on the tigers uh what you and i and actually you and i and cody have had a pretty thorough deep dive on matt boyd about his release point his spin rates his pitch mix what was what was good what was bad why he was failing why his slider all of a sudden lost any finish and, you know, it's probably something we can talk about in depth another time. We also talked to Max Goldstein, who's quite good at these things also. The, the, the bottom line is, is that he was having release point problems. Uh, they were not tempo problems. And all of a sudden, against Jose Abreu, when he was getting his brains beaten in two starts ago, he <laughs> all of a sudden... He started having command, and he started throwing his change up more. And lo and behold, he started getting people out. Uh, Last start was really good. Austin Romine is a huge part of that. He made basically Matthew Boyd shelve his slider. He only threw it 12 times in his last outing, and he threw an inordinate. He threw more. He threw half as many change ups in his last start as he had thrown in the previous six starts altogether. So yep. uh, it helped him quite a bit, his release point, And I think both Cody and other people have posted savant metrics showing his release point. The consistency level of his release point all of a sudden was night and day from the previous six starts. More importantly, if you understand a little bit about why pitchers are effective – a very important thing in layman's terms is something called tunneling, which means as a hitter, when you're seeing the ball for the first 
50 feet it's on its way to the plate it looks the pitches look identical so you can't tell a slider from a fastball from a changeup and it's that last 10 feet that you're able to tell things and if you're doing a poor job in release point uh you know or with your mechanics often you you are able to determine what what pitches are what far earlier than that. You adjust to it and typically either lay off them or whack the living daylights out of them. And and, and just real quick, me, real quick, I just want to point out too that sometimes tunneling and release point aren't just just for people out there who who are going to look this stuff up maybe or get into it aren't necessarily the same thing. There are guys who don't have the release points aligned who seem to tunnel very well because their yeah. breaking ball pops onto the same line. It's not, you know, just it's not a one-to-one relationship. Or, or, or they, That's can, all. They, can, they, can hide, they can hide the baseball. You don't see it until it's it, – there's lots of reasons why tunneling works. But a, a pretty common one is, is if you're throwing the baseball out of the same keyhole and then the movement of the baseball changes very late in its trajectory to the plate. So M- Matthew Boyd needs those things. He also – his slider – it did not have the vertical movement and or what we'll call finish that it, that it had had when it was much more successful. And I'm sh- not sure that he's fully recaptured that, although it did look slightly better. The bottom line was his, his fastball command and his changeup and just the entire way they sequenced all of his stuff the other day was a huge improvement. He looked like he was much more obviously he was much more effective and if history says anything about Matthew Boyd it is entirely possible these next six starts he's very good because he's just that kind of streaky type of pitcher yeah he, and he puts goes on runs and it, I wouldn't be surprised if he started throwing six and seven inning starts and being pretty effective Spencer Turnbull I think he's shown he can throw somewhere between 15 and 18 or 19 ounce of being pretty effective. It was it, you know, he's not striking out very many people. He is walking an ungodly amount of people yet the contact from, and you've discussed this many times and I'm sure it's an up and coming Brandon, you know, day article. He's a fucking weird pitcher, man. Yeah, he really he, is. <laughs> he, he, yeah. but here, here's, here's the bottom line in baseball. If they do, even when they hit the ball, if they do not hit it very hard or very far, you're going to do pretty well because major league defenders are really good when you make soft contact to throwing you out. Yep, and so, teams are much better at positioning and, and much more proactive. Yeah, if you can just not give up home runs um, as a pitcher in, in this league, you can do some things. It's true. There aren't very many guys hey, you can many, say how, that about. How, how many home runs has Spencer Turnbull given up this year, do you know? Um, I do not, but let me look. It can't be very many, man. <laughs> I, I don't think there are many. You ready? I'm going to guess the answer to this question Okay. Is, is zero. I think it might be zero. I can't think off the top of my head of a single home it, run he's given it, up. It, 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 it is. is. It is still zero. Wow. That's it through 30 innings. Like, does anyone else have 30 innings and is allowed no home runs? Now I will look that up. I, I need to know this. No. No? All right. I, I believe it because that seems incredible. <laughs> like, no one does that now. And Spencer Turnbull has a 2.97 ERA, okay, in 30 innings, and he's three and two. And his he has a pretty low batting average balls in play, but I'm not surprised by that because he, you're not making really good contact off of him. Yep. So, you know that that's the weird part about Turnbull. He 
had a, and you and I have talked about this, he had a super effective slider the first three outings. Just ridiculously good put-away quality slider. Yep. It, it has been missing in action for the last three starts, and it, he had a good changeup a couple of the starts, and that hasn't necessarily been very good either of the last three starts. However, his fastball yeah. is great. Yeah, to, to define Spencer Turnbull, he's a guy who can go out there and pitch reasonably well with just his fastball through, you know, two times through the order. With just fastballs, pretty much, you know, he'll show you the slider or whatever, but then there will be times when he does have, you know, the slider working for him. And, you know, at those times, yeah, he can he can look really damn good. And then there will be the third Spencer Turnbull, which is the Spencer Turnbull who just cannot find the strike zone, even though he's not even trying to, to throw to zones very much. I mean, you know, it seems like they pretty much just tell Spencer Turnbull just to throw it down the damn middle, and it just goes where it goes, you know? There is no doubt in my mind, if you watched last start, and you watched Andrew Romine, and Austin, it, it, when you when you watched Austin Romine set up last game, yeah, for the first two innings, he sat right in the middle, right of the in the play. middle, man, yep, and said, "Look, throw it down the middle. I don't think they can hit it." And you know what? <laughs> and they could they not. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was yep. that was and that was an interesting learning experience, I think, for Spencer Turnbull. And, and it kind of goes it goes against like so much of what what you and I would talk about or anybody who's deep into pitching talks about in terms of what works and it's just because Spencer Turnbull has odd odd stuff man um i I am gonna write this article because I've been just piecing it together forever but just as a as a teaser I mean it's basically it, he throws a high spin sinker which is paradoxical and makes no sense but when you bend a pitch like that into just like a slight cutter, like basically a straight four seamer. Sometimes that pitch just, just drops. It just has weird late drop instead of ride. Um, if you just turn the axis over just this little bit. And I found a great little article on driveline baseball from a couple years ago about this, this peculiar phenomenon and how it almost just makes the ball tumble. Like there's just this little bit of an axis change compared to like your optimal riding Justin Verlander four seamer that just makes the thing drop. And it's it's basically a cut fastball, which we, is a pitch we don't talk about that much because cutter has become such a weird like middle ground between a straight four-seamer and a and just a hard slider or like the Warthen slider that the, you know, a bunch of the Mets pitchers have thrown forever. And there's just not really anybody throwing that fastball um, you know, around. Not that 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 many. Like Kenley Jansen has that riding or a true riding cut fastball. But yeah, it's um it's just a weird ass pitch. And the thing is the Tigers have two guys like this because Gregory Soto is the same thing. To finish up with Turnbull, you and I have had this discussion many times and we had it with Code. I mean, it, it's Spencer Turnbull is Lance Lynn Light. Yeah. It, it, it's it, you know, they're their profiles are so similar when you watch them throw and the movement on their pitches is so similar. And, you know, look, there, there were, when Lance Lynn came back from his, really his only primary injury of his career, he's been an unbelievably durable, successful pitcher for his entire career. And even on the Cardinals, he would get hit a little bit, but he always seemed to be keep, throw a lot of innings and win a lot of baseball games. Yeah, And then, and then he got hurt. And his stuff was bad, and he was on the verge of almost washing out. And he showed up last year, and it he, it looked like he was throwing cutter on almost every pitch. Yeah. And his command is 70-grade command. Yeah. 
Th- and, this is where he and Spencer diverge, but yeah. But but I, I want I'm going to read you something to show you well, well, and the, let, and, the the insanity of 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 Lance Lynn, who yeah. is by the way one of the best pitchers in baseball. I don't yeah. think that, yeah. that's very arguable. And Lance correct? Lynn has always been that guy who has the same very low home run rates, and it, despite having a strikeout rate near ten per nine. Throws now. over seventy, yeah. Now, but over, throws, but the last two seasons, well, actually, since twenty eighteen, his strikeout rate has been, you know, probably an average of like nine point eight per nine, and he's done this while throwing over seventy percent fastballs. <laughs> how, 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 cra- how about how crazy this is? Okay, and and it just shows you how he he's tweaked the movement on his fastball. Ready? Because he now he's he's not unhittable, but he's pretty unhittable. He's much more unhittable now than he's ever been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So how about 2011 Lance Lynn, who was very good by the way, 73 mm-hmm. percent fastballs, and starting in 2011, 73 percent, 70 percent, 73 percent, 79 percent fastballs in 2014. Okay. 85% fastballs in 2015 at 91.7, by the way. Oh, that's okay. ridiculous, yeah. Right? 81% in 2017, 77% in 2018. That was his first year back from injury. He was not very good that year. 71% last year at 94.2 miles an hour. Yeah. Okay? Mm. And this year he's at 71% at 93.6. Yep. Now, and it's and it's and it's four seamer. You know, it's four seamer. It's sinker. It's cutter. And he's that's mostly what he mixes. And then, yeah, you you see the slider sometimes against right-handers, and that's it. And that's it, right? And he, so he, you know, he throws a very rare curveball, and, and he almost never throws a change anymore. The, the 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 bottom line is he he's really really good. And and when we've talked about Spencer Turnbull, we we I like want to strap him in a chair, put a a bag over his head and make him watch like 10 Lance Lynn starts in a row. Yep, just lock and him in just, a box and just put a VR thing on his head. Like, and just like dude, you just live just, through Lance Lynn's just, eyes. This, this, <laughs> right. This guy, it's like he he reminds me of the joke that he stands on the mound, holds the baseball up and shows the hitter and yells to him, fastball, yep. throw him the fastball, see if you can hit it. And, you know, that's the bottom line. It, it's it's perfect. It, it's such a good pitch for Lance Lynn and Spencer Turnbull is Lance Lynn light. And it's, there's everything his own. It's one of those jokes. It's like the same joke about Greg Soto and Daniel Norris. They're all three of these pitchers are in the, exactly the same mental space. I have seen the enemy and the enemy is me. Yeah. Okay. And once they are able to, if they are able to mature beyond that, okay, they should be very good. It's not a stuff issue. It's it's the ability to throw the stuff when they need to and to stick to the plan and to execute it, okay? Yep, trust and, and, it and stop just like, oh, in the moment, this is what makes me feel comfortable, so I've got to do it. Like, no, you just have to keep forcing yourself to do what you know you need to do until you do it. <laughs> and, and, interestingly enough, everything else is bailing. Everything else in a way, way is bailing out to your comfort pitch, you know? So as much as I like to say disparaging things about Rick Anderson, and I still feel this way, I will say this to you. Okay. 
three pitchers that have monstrously improved this season so far. Spencer Turnbull, Daniel Norris, Greg Soto. And now, what okay, and what unifies this? Because I think we both know that Rick Anderson is not the stuff guy. He's well, not the guy let, to like teach me, you a pitch. Well, he's not the much. I gotta get this out. He's gonna uh, he's not the guy who's gonna like refine your arsenal. He's he's just a tweaker. He's that dude who may have a few ideas for you about how to how to control things better, how to think maybe a little bit more effectively. And that's kind of it. But each of those three have just made like the, the subtlest change and most of it is just seems to have been mental. You know, most of it just seems to be confidence or something. Well, who's calling the pitches when these guys are throwing most of the time? Yeah, it's mostly Austin Romine. Mm-hmm. And he has so, the clout to, 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 you know, to lean at him. Like, no, you, you're going to do what I tell you. You're going to throw the pitch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the other the other day when, when Turnbull was struggling for the first time. It was like the third, and he walked out, and he put his arm around him, and it was basically like – it looked like he was being nice to him, but I got a feeling he was going, listen, I'm setting up in the middle of the plate. Just hit my – throw it at my damn glove down the middle, and let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't you even are want not going to gonna start walking, people, here. <laughs> yeah. It's just not – it's not happening. You make, don't make even think play. about the hitter, Spencer Turnbull. Right. I don't want you to – like, that guy that doesn't even exist. We're going to play catch. I'm going to do all the thinking. You just shut up and throw it down the middle. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and that, I mean, it's, it's, if you know anything about Daniel Norris's pitch mix, one of the greatest, most interesting things about him last year was the development of a just a really terrific swing and miss changeup. And we've gone over numbers on different pods about it. It, it was as much a swing and miss changeup as there, there was, you know, almost in the American League the last you know, maybe two months of the season for sure. Yep. He's barely thrown it that much. The last three or four outings, he's predominantly been fastball slider and he's been super great. Yeah. How good well, has he been? He's- he has been, but I, 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 I'm going to have to look into that. Cause I think, I don't know. I, I noticed Jack uh, Morris talking an awful lot about like this or that slider and some of those were change-ups. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure yeah. of it. But his change-up actually often breaks for him. Yeah. Okay. Breaks glove side instead of fading. That that's a lot true. But I I would I would love you know we've tried to send Cody to have a talk with him about <laughs> it because I'm I'm curious what he has to say about what pitch that is and what is, you know, trying to separate what's a slider and what's a change because there's, there's some slight velocity difference, but I, I would like to understand which one is which. So I understand what I'm watching. The bottom line is, well, and the, the camera, it's just, you know, some of this is for people out there who watch the tigers regularly. It just comes down to the, the goddamn camera angle in Comerica park. And the fact that it's really hard to see, you know, to get a good look at horizontal movement from lefties. Like it's just hard to see it. Um, it's, it's hard to see it. All yeah. right, let's let's quickly before but, we get to okay, okay, but far, I, yes, Daniel's been great. Yeah. we're excited. We wish he would actually they'd let him throw more. Yeah. okay. And I do think there's a thing going on here where we're starting to see the changeup um, regaining prominence in an era where dudes are just bashing everything. Um, it seems like a lot of pitchers are turning more to that changeup, and yeah, it's been working for the Tigers um, best, with, with a couple of these pitch, guys. Yep. Best, best pitch in baseball, dude. Yeah. So let, let's touch a little bit on. The my Scooble. Yeah. Um, then we'll talk a little Fulmer and what but, we're seeing there. I, th- I think we have less to talk about about Tarek. And so, you know, I I, I think uh, Cody had something very relevant 
that he tweeted about. He wrote a really good article in the athletic today about 30 reasons or 30 things you should notice about the Tigers. Yeah. Um, um, is a really good piece. Cody's written so many good pieces this year. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah. One of, one, one of the things he, he brought up today was Scoobles fastball. I think spin rate 24, 26, maybe yep. top, top seven for left-handers in baseball. Let's talk about Scoobles. And I think it, this also applies to, Mize and I mentioned it last pod, which is look, guys, you can't be throwing glorified batting practice and bullpens for a month and come up and face major league hitters and expect people to be sharp. And I think you've seen that, especially with Scooble. Yeah, there's two things that are have gone on with Scooble, which neither surprised me at all. One, his command has been almost below major league average the first two outings especially and, the first one I, I also think you have to look at it like as two separate outings too because that first yes. one he was steering the fastball and it didn't have it, the ride that it normally does and that shows up in the data that the second start it, it out was he was more relaxed he was letting it go and guys were just swinging right through it like they did in the minors a lot well, more often let, let, let's get into that in a you know in a second yeah but i do want to say that he's thrown some fastballs over the plate and lo and behold, you throw fastballs over the plate to major league hitters. What happens to them? Yep. They get hit. They, they get whacked. Yep. I mean, he, 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 even, you know, Garrett Cole throws some fastballs that get whacked. And that's about the most unhittable fastball in the zone as there is in baseball. And it, even that gets hit. But look, the first start, it was what it was. He was shell shocked. They were hitting him a little bit. His command was terrible. I thought Romine called just an inordinate amount of breaking pitches because I wanted him to throw more fastballs. And lo and behold, you know, I should not be criticizing what Romine's calling because you know how much I love his normal sequencing. Yeah. And, it, and, he, and he was choking it. I mean, he just was. He was choking He was choking it, the four-seamer. It, it, yeah. it, it was his first start, and it was what it was. And so, dude only and had that, 40, what, 45 pitches. I, I think that's the yeah, other thing about this is that when we heard Scooble was coming up, we were like, awesome. And then the next thing you find out is, oh, he just got to camp on like August 5th and has been throwing for two weeks. Um, and at that point, expectations go completely out the window again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the, the second start, he had Griner behind the plate. And if, if I could have run out on the field, called time and yelled at, at Grayson Griner in the first inning, as in, why are you not calling for more fastballs, you moron? <laughs> and, you know, he navigated through the home run in the first inning. All of a sudden, in the second inning, he kept putting one down. And the more he put one down, the more he was pumping it. And he proceeded to strike out, you know. Five guys. Five, five, five guys. And he was throwing fastballs by people. He was throwing fastballs by people up at the top of the zone to finish them. And it was like, uh, yeah, his pitch execution was much better, no question about it. And, and as soon as that started happening and the fastball started playing up, then they finally started calling the changeup. And oh, lo and behold, yeah, it's not a, it's maybe a major league average changeup at best. But yeah, when you're throwing 95 with a ton of ride at the top of the zone, um, and with a lot of deception too, I should add, yeah, all of a sudden everything's playing up and it's all working, yeah. and then it's well, and then the outing is over because he can only throw you know. But 45 I, pitches. I am excited <laughs> to see him throw this yeah. time because I think when they you know the Tigers actually their analytics department has seemingly been 
pretty competent. I don't know how much they're listening to him, but yeah. If if you boys ever are listening and uh, shout out, you're doing a good job. You know, uh, you know Jay and Sam and yeah. your assistants. Kudos. I think that a lot of what you had to say is been spot on and they should listen to you more not less mr vargovic still there hey danny (laughs) you know and what 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 i what i will say is i would expect uh school to continue to throw fastballs and his command to continue to improve and hopefully you know he'll throw 75 pitches this time and get through four innings and that that would be a good thing yeah yep uh let's let's move on to casey mize um i think that we we discussed this before he came up and when he was going to come up you know his level of sharpness relative to what it will be i I'd, I'd say he's about 75 to 80% of what he will be from a command pitch sharpness standpoint although you have seen him execute all those things at times really really well I, I do think that his cutter has tons more to show than he you've seen from it so far. Uh, I think his split, he's still trying to figure out. He has two or three different versions of this split. Yeah, he I can manipulate it, yeah. He's trying to actually figure out what and when, and he's gotten hurt on his split a couple of times. Yeah. But, uh, but I also I think, think he's been forced to go to it, you know, more, more than he would normally like to, because you know, the, the, the cutter has been a little, you know, a little hit or miss. Um, he hasn't really, the first time out he had the, you know, whatever, and I'm sure it's a knuckle curve, but uh, for him, it's basically a slider. That's what he uses it as. And um, he used that quite a bit and had pretty good control of it. But the second time out, he didn't seem to have that going either. And pretty soon it got to, you know, I'm throwing a ton of splitters. And that's not optimal. I, I think we would both agree that the yeah, splitter is a, best a, saved a, for like a tight right. spot as you get into the order, you know, the second and third time you start busting it out on them and then they're, then they're screwed. I mean, ideally he's two, two seam cutter. And, you know, and mixes the slider in on you and gets some quick outs early on and then develops into, you know, splitter hell on you. He's he's actually thrown way more four seamers than I thought he was going to throw. Yeah. And and would prefer he didn't. His two seamer, the first start, was money. Yeah. So so much arm side run and he threw it to a left to left hand hitters quite a bit. It was really, really good. The four seamer we want to see like against left handers like in and he has to be, you know, he has to be commanding it well. And oddly enough, we've seen the same thing that I've seen from Casey Myers since he came to the organization, which is that he commands almost everything else better than his fastball, at least in terms of consistency. And it's odd. It's it's very odd because I've seen, you know, he misses quite a bit with the fastball. Um, and then you just see, like, for the most part, the splitters are, are down and down and down right where he wants them. The slider is on, you know, e- on either edge. The cutter, yeah, he's made some mistakes with that, you know, that we've seen so far. But the fact that we haven't seen, like, the the perfectly optimized, like, 91, 92-mile-per-hour cutter we saw in the, the one spring. We, the one, the, one, the, one, the yeah. one we saw this spring where I had to call you up every 10 minutes. And yeah, go, did you see that? Oh, shit. I cannot believe what I'm watching. This is the most unbelievable pitch I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, which tells us, you know, that, yeah, he's, he's just not quite got the feel for that one. The fact that he's not commanding it as well as, as you'd like and the fact that, yeah, we haven't really seen too many of the – although there have been a couple. There, there was a couple that were, like, 90 and just had, like, a shit ton of gloves 
side movement uh, too. And it was like, yeah, oh there no. Was some 88s. Yeah, yeah, but he was throwing this 91 to 93 mile an hour cutter this spring. I called Fennec up one time and I, 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 I like wanted to put a bag over Fennec's head and shake him so he would listen to me because it, it was, I, I'm telling him, Anthony, you just can't freaking believe how much better his cutter is. He spent the entire winter working on it because this is like not the 88 mile an hour cutter. This is three miles an hour faster. And it, and it seems to dance away from every right hand hitter swing every time he throws it. And then he comes with this two seamer. It's fading the other way. And I was, it was amazing stuff. I have yet to see him throw like that since they recalled him. Now, do I think this next outing or the outing after, now that he's thrown multiple bullpens and he's faced hitters twice, that you're going to see some improvement from what we've seen so far? I'd be willing to wager the answer to that was yes. Yeah, as well. And you also have to figure that, Casey Mize is an odd pitcher for an experienced catcher like Austin Romine, who's probably seen all kinds of rookies come up and throw it all over the place um, to, to catch because you kind of, you have to trust Casey to, to really use him best. Like if you're scared, you know, of having him swing back a two seamer on the outside black against a right-hander and then go cut her away because you've seen, you know, people try to execute that kind of thing and, and screw it up. Yeah, Casey, you can trust, you know, to do that kind of thing. In fact, Casey needs needs to pitch that way and, and move pitches just subtly into the zone and then move another pitch from that same spot back out of the zone. And yeah. when he starts doing that, he can he can really tie some people up. So, yeah, there's probably a process. It's a deep, all I'm saying is it's a deep arsenal and it takes, you know, it takes more time sometimes with a catcher to, you know, for them to kind of develop that rapport and, and figure out what you can expect him to actually pull off under pressure whereas and with Tarek Skubal you just call fastball change up and get out of the way and not to belabor this Brandon but this is why we wanted them to bring him up two weeks before they did because a he would have been sharper and b he needs the experience this experience is super valuable for what will go on next year and he needs to understand what he needs to work on what he can do what he can't do you know, how he needs to change his sequencing. All right, so I don't want to belabor this a real long time because I want to get to the bullpen, but, you know, lastly, there's Michael Fulmer, and I think I was pretty blunt about Michael Fulmer after watching this last start, which is, look, I think it's wise to invest in Michael Fulmer. I think he needs these innings. I think if this is how Michael Fulmer is throwing next year, he's going to be throwing like this in Toledo because it's – I'm not even sure it's fifth starter caliber. He's not throwing very hard and he's pulling everything and he can't command much. And it's why it's why you see him for the most part, get hit. He's not striking out a ton of people. And basically it's pretty fifth starter bland looking, you know, shell of what Michael former used to be kind of stuff. So I, I I'm not going to, talk about it for a long time and I'm going to chalk it up to being out of shape. And if it's long-term because he can't really push off of his knee like he used to, well, you know, I enjoyed him when he was good. Yep. Or he's going to have to, you know, he's really going to have to like go through some kind of crazy reinvention because yeah, I mean, you know, we're both seeing the same thing. He can't, you know, he can't sink down into his right side and, and push off. He, he kind of has to like pop up and, and land and then kind of throw over the top, which is, 
actually giving him kind of a weird look, I think, to, to hitters that may be helping him out even, because, yeah, overall, like, the stuff isn't moving. And I think it, you know, it bears remembering that Michael Fulmer has almost never been good. Um, I, I hate to put it that way, but really, you know, outside of 2016... You know, maybe he's a league average, league average starter. You know, yeah, he was he was good for the first half of the next year, and then I think his knee really. I think ever since his knee really started hurting, he's. I haven't seen him throw struggling. good good changeups and good sliders in the same game since since you know maybe ever. Um, and right now, you know, the slider actually doesn't look too bad to me, but you know, I haven't seen the changeup and. Yeah, when he can't just bore in on you with 96 to 98, you know, and, and just break the bat out of your hand, you know, with regularity. The other stuff shows for what it always has been, which is pretty much league average pitches at best. Um, yeah, I've I... never thought he had, like, very good secondary stuff. Like, he'll once in a while flash this curveball that kind of looks like, yeah, maybe he could mix that in. But he's always been that guy who had to have that fastball. And if he can't get that back, yeah, it, it's a problem. But uh, But also... We've seen a million guys come back in their first year after Tommy John and just look god awful. Um, and it, which, yeah, so it just takes which, time, maybe. Right, which is why we are cutting them some slack, and we're not going to belabor this for a real long time. All right, let's move on to the bullpen. Okay, so the bull, the bullpen, I would say, it's been shockingly surprising. So let's talk about the best surprise first, because I don't know if he made a deal with the devil. If uh, he had uh, an epiphany, if Juan Nieves and him got together secretly and figured out some type of magical change to his slider. But right now, Jose Cisnero is (laughs) barely giving up a hit, much less a run. So uh, not sure what to make of it. I think we probably read more into the last outing when he got Baez to finish off his. Oh, wait, we talking, out, we're talking, we're talking Soto, right? Yeah, No, I'm talking Jose. Cisnero. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. You know, he got Baez, uh, to, you know, basically through, you know, borderline strikes his first two pitches and the last three pitches, he didn't throw a strike and, you know, Javi Baez, thank God, swung three times and, you know, he, he pitched out of a jam. But Jose Cisnero has been a revelation the last six times out. He, he's borderline unhittable and he's throwing 96-98. People want to see him as a as the closer. And at this point in time, I think they're actually spotting him much better in leverage situations and kind of using him. Uh, but, you know, when you take him and you take uh, – Greg Soto, who I think is, you and I would have talked about this a little bit. This last two outings, he showed a super amount of maturity after basically getting his ass handed to him two straight times by the White Sox. Uh, last outing, first hitter, you could tell there was trouble of brewing. Somehow we walked around the back of the mound, pulled it back together and got that hitter and then dispatched the next two hitters. And I was like, oh, that was a nice job. That's that's like a pat on the back out. Yep, that's, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's that the thing. Like, like, you see guys, I mean, you don't necessarily see guys who can throw quite like Gregory Soto, but when you see a young guy who has struggled, you know, to to pitch under pressure and, and command things and be able to, you know, to fix himself really is what it comes down to is being able to under pressure, understand, you know, where you're going wrong 
and be able to cool yourself down in the heat of the moment, make that adjustment, and go right back to just absolutely shoving. And yeah, well, I think we we saw that. Brandon, I think I think what I mean, you know any parent will know what this is, and it you know a lot of times we refer to it when kids are infants. But to be real honest with you, it could be all the way up until your kids like thir- till your kids like thirty. Okay, but. The, the what I, the term I used the other night was it was he self soothed himself he yeah. he didn't he didn't need anyone to come out and give him a pep talk and you know he he walked to the back of the mound he did a little meditating and he somehow found it and he walked back up there and he got the job done and he pulled the bad not, he pulled the bad mf'er wallet out of his back pocket I, and I, looked I, at it I, and remembered who I'm he saying, was. I got to tell you, if you've ever been an athlete in any sport where you had to execute something and it, you were in a game, this wasn't in a practice, wasn't in, I mean, I'm talking in a game and there ain't no one out there to help you people in any game you're playing as an athlete. And if you're able to collect yourself and execute after things had started out poorly, it's a lot, there's, it's the difference between good players and players that have talent and, and never and never that, really yeah never really can do it consistently yeah well but yeah guys that wow you know i saw him do it that one time or yeah they, you know in a in a lot of weird ways that's been daniel norris until the last five or six outings and all of a sudden daniel norris his last outing he got into trouble in his in his third inning and he made uh, just a bu- a bucket of pitches that were really really good and pitched himself out of it and you know that's the difference between a good contributing major leaguer and you know one that just aggravates you because they endlessly tease you that they might be good and never become good and so yeah and, was, and we've also talked about this just just about every you know you don't get to the major leagues without a lot of talent and a lot of these guys just still have that front runner thing like that's that's kind of what separates the men from the boys a lot of the times is that you know some guys will come out and when everything's going well for them for them they look incredible but they could just as easily blow up in your face and then it's the next guy's responsibility to clean up the mess um it's it's the yeah it's when you see that step to where they are the ones who take responsibility for chilling themselves out in the moment sorting themselves out and coming back and competing again um that's you know that's kind of what separates the men from the boys as you'd say well, weirdly, you know, I have a little different take on some of this also, which is on bad teams, they typically promote guys before they're ready or before they're mentally ready. And you see a lot of guys with talent get opportunities and they aren't necessarily able to Process, polish, yeah. polish their game to where they're consistent or able to do it under adversity. This is something weirdly, I've often thought about the White Sox. Weirdly. Good teams, when they promote people, it happens a lot less because I think their expectations of who they promote because they're always it, winning is the primary focus of how they play every game. You, you, you have to execute most of the time at a higher level of proficiency or the expectation of it is higher. Yeah. And the, so the, the competition the, level on the Dodgers is just a different thing. Like if you're Gavin Lux, you know, it's not like everybody on that team sucks. You know, why, why am I not in the show? 
it's I really have got to put this together because they don't need me. They they don't have like you know the Dodgers don't have prize prospects very often. They just constantly have good ones that they that they keep preparing and developing until they're ready to contribute. You know, prize prospects are for teams that are selling you something <laughs> most of the time. Right, but you know it. The 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 point is is it's good to see both Norris and Soto execute in games that are about winning against major league hitters and, you know, look like they could do this and sustain it, you know, from a game to game basis rather than doing it once every three weeks or, you know, two times in four months. And remember that time he did that? No, it's been much more a part of, you know, how they're doing in each outing now. And it's, you know, almost becoming reliable. So, I mean... And I think Daniel look, Norris it, is going to be a very... Like, Daniel Norris is the one guy that I actually think is an interesting trade chip for the Tigers right now. Um, and I don't know if anything's going to happen, but um, but he's one who I think a lot of teams would look at right now and think, like, that's a super useful guy. Like, a guy that you yep. can, that will do anything, you know, that you ask him, pitch in any situation. You know, obviously still has a little bit of untapped potential that he's never quite been able to, you know, to... to hone and sharpen and, and produce with regularity. And yeah, you'd think a good, uh, you know, a team that's really good with pitchers would just be like, you know, this might be a real good opportunity to just flip, you know, some 45 bat to the Tigers that we don't believe in and, you know, take Daniel Norris and, and maybe some another piece for all I know from Alavila and start doing some work with him. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I mean, I'd mention this to, to my buddy, Sandy Casimir, you know, who Jason Handelsman is his real name. And very smart Rays fan. He's, yeah. He's been on the pod with us before. And he's a Jason's a smart guy. Yeah. And I, I was, I was teasing him that Daniel Norris had the look of a Tampa Bay acquisition. If, if any, yeah, anybody did. And, uh, but we'll see the other the other guy. And then I, I also I, look at the Cubs because the Cubs really could use like a, a middle relief lefty um, who they could use in the postseason as well, you know, as kind of a stopper for them. So yeah, maybe there too. Good, uh, also a good team. You know, hopefully a team with more prospects uh, is a team that we're going to deal with because we need a pretty wide berth of selection uh, when, whenever our front office is deciding on a prospect to take back. Now, the, the other thing I was uh, pretty impressed with is that Brian Garcia has been pretty damn good. You can see recently his command was plus plus for the first six or seven times he threw. Yep. And the results reflected the plus plus command. And Romine was very good at, you know, sequencing him also uh he's added some change up lately too which has been super interesting to go with the slider and a very very well located fastballs fastball command is very very good yep. but i i have noticed a few times over the past 10 days because he's been throwing much more often is he looks a little fatigued and there have been a few outings where his command was not quite as good as it had been previously. And I think some of that is a fatigue issue. Uh, I'm going to start trying to pay attention. I mean, he's appeared in 14 of the teams, what, like 29 games. So he's, he's basically pitched every other game. I mean, it's only 12 innings, but with this schedule without off days, 
yeah, I mean that's pretty heavy usage, and um, and and that's kind of been the story for for quite a few guys who are are, are definitely getting Soto in now. Soto may have struggled with that too. Yeah, I mean this is all well and good when it's like September, you know, in a normal season, and you're like, hey, you know, we're all in, we got to do whatever it takes. But you don't see usage like this in the first month of a season after a short summer camp, and I'm sure it's all kind of contributing to the amount of um of kind of minor nagging injuries that so many pitchers are are dealing with. Right, because starters go such a short, you know, distance. And I, I think in retrospect, if they would have understood what was going to transpire, they would have left rosters at, you know, at, at 30 because you, you needed the pitching because starters are just so poor at going deep in games this year. Anyway, so, I mean, look, the, the you know, Jimenez – I don't think this is a huge surprise to either you or I. We've we've discussed many times how hard they hit his fastball last year. He had, he had almost a 500, over a 500 slugging percentage against his fastball. He gave up nine homers last year. So the fact that he's just getting pummeled now. Still got a lot of whiffs on it, and that has gone this year as well. Yeah. It, that is, well, in I think that we brought to light that his, his fastball velocity is down two miles an hour. From two from two years ago, his slider is better, although they're hitting the piss out of it, and his changeup is better. But the bot, and but they don't have to respect, were- yeah, and they don't have to respect the fastball the, the way that they did um, when he first came up to the league. Because yeah, it's just been in in steady decline here. Listen, nobody throws more fastballs down the middle, yeah, than Joe Jimenez, and you know, and, and- nobody has as as inconsistent of mechanics that that leaves so many of those flash you know, those fastballs just flat, you know, I mean, they're just like, just hanging there. Correct. If they're not at the top of the zone or on an edge, they're going to get whacked. So they I just mean, don't I pop think it, the way they used to. Yeah. <laughs> look, the, the good news is Joe's going to throw the fifth and the sixth now, and he's going to get a chance to work his way back. I mean, he should feel fortunate. We're in a 60 game season because to be real blunt about it, he'd be pitching in Toledo if we weren't. So, yep. Um, he, you know, Kyle Funkhauser, people seem to love, uh, how he's thrown recently. My answer to this is he's been really good. The first inning he throws and I tip my hat to the kid because he was about two inches from the scrap pile of DFA for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Uh, he's been, been really good. The first inning he throws, they hit him the second inning. His fastball has seemingly picked up two ticks. It's now, Pretty consistent 95. I don't ever think he's going to throw 97 all the time. And if he does, that's great. Let's bring it on. I, I don't think that's going to happen just because he did it once. But, right. you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a consistent thing. And sometimes this when a guy's like, mechanics get, you know, get really in a good groove, all of a sudden there's that extra tick or, or something. But, yeah, I, I don't think either of us thinks that's the concern, right? It's He's just he's got to command this stuff and he's got to learn to fight. got to learn to fight through adversity. And, and he's definitely exhibited at times, especially in the first inning that he throws better command, which is the biggest difference. Why he's not getting brutalized like he was before. And, uh, his slider has been surprisingly dominant at, at times. Uh, I'd like to see what he can do as a one inning reliever. And I'd like to see them throw him into a little more adverse circumstances, maybe even with a lead, uh, to see what he can do with it. And uh, until they and he needs to strike out more hitters, dude. I mean, you, you can't be a reliever striking out seven guys a nine. Yeah, that's that's. But again, we're talking like what 
how many appearances does he have? Six, seven. Yeah, all right. Right, all right. But the, the bottom line <laughs> is de- decent surprise, and you know Johnny Schreiber. I think sometimes they asked a little bit too much of him. He, he had a really bad, bad outing in Cleveland when he just could not get Framel Reyes out by throwing one good pitch. And if he would have, I think we'd look a little differently at his season. But but you also look at that at bat and how fine the margin is for him. Um, he's got very good command, but I mean, he had to throw that Frisbee slider like two inches below the zone and on the, you know, just below the outer edge. Like it had to be there exactly. And he was close to it, (laughs) but, but yeah, the the margin is tight there for him. And, you know, I mean, John Triver is a dude who before the three pitcher minimum would have been very interesting as sort of a, you know, like a a poor man, Daryl and O'Day. Yeah. Yeah, You just bring him in to get a tough right-hander and call it a day. Um, but yeah, I think that makes it a lot tougher for him to have the kind of career. Maybe, um, a guy like him could have had a few years. Here's what I got to say about Johnny Schreiber. Johnny Schreiber. Moxie. He's always surprised me in a good way. Okay. Um, you you typically have low expectations when you watch the stuff and he just keeps somehow hanging on and he's, continually refined a few pitches so if you told me two years from now he was more consistent and had developed uh you know a little more sharpness to a few of his pitches and he was a pretty effective reliable major league pitcher i would in no way shape or form be surprised so uh so just kind of as a you know just to kind of wrap wrap up sort of the pitching side i mean the tigers seem like they might have like a five man bullpen that is, that is pretty solid. And then maybe Joe gives you something, maybe Funkhauser gives you something, but, um, but that's about as good as I can remember, you know, like obviously we don't have a Joel Zamaya down there. Um, I'm not sure not, well, I, maybe we do have a Joaquin Benoit, but maybe, but maybe not, you know, um, maybe Cisnero could be some, you know, a guy like that. Soto is kind of like the unique one where you just have this huge weapon, but, you know, to bring these five guys to bear effectively, this the rotation has got to give you a little more length and consistency. And if they can, yeah, the Tigers might have a pretty uh, pretty good bullpen for the rest of the month and be able to, you know, make their, you know, kind of odd good offensive performances count and, and hold up. And um, I think that's kind of, you know, before we move on in part two of this thing and, and talk about the lineup and defense and, you know, all that all that part of it, you know, the, the, there's enough there on the pitching side in terms of arms to kind of make this, this thing work if they can just, you know, hang in there and produce enough at the plate. So Listen, I think it's been a, a, it's been a surprise. A, I'll say yeah, that from, from a production standpoint, I don't, I don't think they could be worse. Okay. But well, well, yeah, I well. think <laughs> that, but, but kudos to the front office in the sense that, you know, once the injuries hit, they went, yeah. All right. A little late, but yeah. <laughs> Let's, you know, yeah, okay. You know, Day and Gorosh, they, they were just in Stavenhagen. They are just browbeating us. So in, everybody's asking where's Casey Mize. Okay. Let's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah? Right. You want Casey Mize? We'll give you Tarek Scoville, too. How about that, buddy? Yeah. There you go, baby. All right. Next guy. In, all right. So let's let's take two minutes and discuss this part. What do you think? Who who are they going to bring up? Is there anybody else to bring up? And what do we expect? You know, at, at the next thirty games, Scoobles should be better, right? Yeah, my my should be better, right? Yep, I think we look forward to those guys having their little struggles, but but you know, kind of steadily progressing and and lengthening right. their outings. Yep, I, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna predict Boyd is gonna be better because that's just who Matthew Boyd is. He's a streaky pitcher. Yep. Always has been. Yep. Okay. Turnbull. Uh let's hope for the best. And I think as we come we came to find about Spencer Turnbull, uh hope for the best. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the best, but hope for the best. If okay. someone okay, and here's a, here's a real just a real quick question. I mean, if someone offered you a you know a top 100 prospect that you that you liked for Spencer Turnbull and a decent second piece, would you would you have any interest in trading him? In two seconds. Yeah, same here. I still uh, I still I think he's still the hot potato. He's still a dude who's very interesting. Uh, has some some traits that will probably make smart teams very interested. But then they will also find out that the aptitude to do this consistently and the and the and, the health and, and is I, just not going to be there probably. And wait, maybe another team is going to optimize him more than Detroit did. I mean, re, yep. uh, you know, I'll tell you, you know, as an example, remember when Drew Smiley went to Tampa? Yep. Yep. I mean, and Drew Smiley once his arm started hurting in Tampa was horrible in Tampa. He there are still people with PTSD from watching him one, the, the second year in Tampa, but the first year he was went down there, he was pretty damn good. Yeah. Okay. He's actually still pretty damn good. If you, there's a great article that I have uh, him on my fantasy team. I always pick up Drew Smiley and just stash him on the IL all year because that's where he goes. <laughs> but yeah. If, if, if if you like pitching math and you know all kinds of fun pitching metrics. Uh, Anil Saris writes a great, great column on the Athletic about it, and it, it it's really just fantastic stuff. Um, and Drew, Drew ranked pretty high in that stuff. But you know, I, I, do you think we'll see Franklin Perez or not? Yes, I think we will. I mean, how could you not? Like, I mean, you you haven't had Franklin Perez in bloody forever. If he's healthy and he's pitching, I mean, and we don't even know. I mean, for all we know, he's on the shelf down there right now. But if he isn't, and you know, he's looking reasonably good. I think they, I think they told you if he was. I mean, so. probably, but, you know, I mean, I assume he's doing all right. And in that case, you know, he's he's been on the 40, man. Um, you know, it, it's it's time to kind of see what you got. And it's not, you know, obviously none of this is ideal. Um, I'd like to be able to kind of like, you know, give Franklin Perez, you know, half a season at double A to see if he can, you know, take some strides before you bump him up to the major leagues. But this is all we got, and you know when Franklin Perez is healthy, you better you might as well just pitch him and and see what's yeah. up. Nick Ramirez. Yes, I think we will see Nick Ramirez. I actually do. Uh, it won't surprise me if the Tigers deal one arm, and because I'm thinking it's Daniel Norris, you know, is at least the most likely. Then I figure like, yeah, that's what you're keeping Nick Ramirez around for is to give you some length in the second half after you've kind of burnt some of these um some of these you know bullpen arms and Tyler Alexander has kind of, you know, turned back into, you know, six starter Tyler Alexander. Tyler Flash Alexander, that's what I call him though. He'll always have that nine strikeouts in a row. Damn it. No, oh, that was crazy. Tyler Tyler Alexander for five hitters. Yeah. Every three or four outings. Pretty solid. Go, yeah, it was really good. The problem is everything else that's happening aside from that flash of five hitters every three outings that's that's i mean what it says to me is he needs to be very fine to be good but when his stuff is on he's can be pretty damn good so he needs to either improve his consistency or 
he's going to be on five major league teams pretty quickly. So and, and maybe that, um, and maybe that's finding him, you know, a more yeah. consistent role rather than you know bouncing him around all over the place. I mean, uh, yeah. you, th- you think we see Blackwood maybe swap him for Schreiber? Or it would take a forty man spot, so it's doubtful they do that. Yeah, I don't think so, but I think it would have happened already. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to say no, but you never know. Obviously, you know, Schreiber could get hurt. Anybody could get hurt. And then everybody's and then everybody's f- famous ninety-eight mile an hour fastball that I had seen enough during summer camp, but other people seemed intrigued. But what, what last name? The pitcher uh, Chang. I, I oh yeah, know. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was a pretty straight ninety-eight. You know, without uh, much extension, kind of showing the ball early, and he didn't really look to have much else to offer. So I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, the Tigers seemed to like him and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't terrible. Um, you know, there, there was something there, but uh, I kind of feel like he's, he's another one who, if the tie, if things were really going well with him, he would have already been up because the Tigers seemed pretty keen on him at first. Yeah. So I, I think their pitching will be better in this last 30 games. It couldn't be worse. And uh, yeah, maybe the bullpen I'll, regresses I'll... a little bit, but the starters, should be able to stretch out and, right. and kind of fill last, the middle. Last question, and then we'll do the rest in part two. Yeah, so, yeah we might have to adjourn. Uh, right. So, last question. Do you think they give only Buck Farmer the closers opportunities, or do you think they maybe try a few other people uh, to close? I think that they actually will do do the thing that I would like them to do and mix it up and kind of try to play matchups. I think they will do that. You know, I mean, they put Buck Farmer in in the ninth, but it wasn't really a you know barely oh, a safe right. situation anyway. So, yeah, I don't think they've made a decision, and I and I do think they will kind of try some guys out. But I also feel like because they handed the the job to Joe Jimenez, you know, kind of from the beginning anyway, that if Joe Jimenez, you know, puts together two you know two outings maybe even one good outing he'll be right back in there i right, see this is we're gonna have a fight now me and you which is been been five podcasts brewing but first <laughs> of all i think joe jimenez going right back in there and two good outings not happening okay i think buck farmer closing games i wrote it I, I people were wondering who's gonna. I was, people are paying zero attention to how Ron Gardner manages. It was the easiest call ever. That oh, I Buck knew Farmer he, was gonna close. Oh, I okay? know he would get the look. But how long is that gonna last? I mean, Buck now, Farmer doesn't look that good. <laughs> that's it. No, no, that's a different discussion. And yeah. I think Buck Buck was pretty pretty honest. He was like, look. Look, I know I'm throwing two miles an hour slower. I mean, Buck Farmer's pitches look like trash right now. I mean, he, he's getting away. Yeah. He 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 survived last last game basically because they hit two rockets at people and he got out of the inning. It was going to start getting really ugly there and was getting really ugly. So I I, I could promise you, look, they got they got Garcia, Soto, and Cisnero. All right, and I, listen. I, I'd, I'd let Daniel Norris try to close the game the way he's throwing. I, it doesn't really matter to me. I, at this point in time, I'll, I think they'll be flexible. And here's the other thing. Shame on them if they don't experiment in these last 30 games. I, I, I think I've said this multiple times in the last 
two weeks when we started to have discussions or trade discussions, which just makes me nauseous. But nobody in baseball does more to devalue their own players through incompetence than the Detroit Tigers. So maybe feeling inspired and super wild, they will give various people an opportunity to see what they can do in high leverage. See if Greg Soto can get those last three outs because it's much different than getting the three outs in the eighth, buddy. Let me tell you, it's not the same thing. See see if Jose Cisnero can get them in the, in the ninth instead of in the sixth or the seventh. They're foolish not to find out. It's how good teams do it, and it's how good teams find out, hey, this guy's much better than we thought. How do you think the, the Rays found out that Alex Colomay could be a closer who's now closing in Chicago? You know how they found out? They gave him a shot when nobody else was going, hey, let's let Alex Colomay be my closer. Okay? And this is called adding value to your players. If they somehow fail at it and go back to throwing the seventh inning, I promise you it doesn't devalue them. So Right, because other teams aren't out there dreaming on what a guy can do. They're only going to pay for what they've seen a guy do. Yeah, Correct. That's right. Anyways. Well, most so, of them, anyway. Let, let's uh, let's kind of wrap up this this hour and you know maybe make a part two and we'll start talking about the offense and a few things about trading and uh you know give people a break because listening to the two of us talk for you know a three-hour pod is going to be the most boring thing ever so maybe we can break it into two pieces for them yep i think that's the way to go and yeah i mean it's just how it is like um one of the, the the best things about having a guest with the two of us is that otherwise you know folks out there are dropping into an a never-ending conversation that Mark and I are engaged in that will, you know, only end Correct. when one of us dies. Um, which, which <laughs> or is baseball going, dies. <laughs> which, which is going on when we're not recording. Yeah, so, yep, for sure. Um, but I, right. I mean, just to kind of, just to kind of round off that bullpen point. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're right. I mean, that's, that's what I would do. And that's what I want them to do. Um, I just fear that, you know, th- they will kind of reflexively do the kind of thing that they, they often like to do. And that's just, you know, put put a name down and and forget it and like not have to make a decision you know just until until there's something goes horribly wrong they're not proactive but we'll see we'll see how it goes i think they've been more proactive than we're giving them credit for look at they've been better make up look at the makeup of their roster and who's throwing the last five innings of last four innings of games now so yep, they have been better this year i i yep. would agree necessity is a mother baby yeah so but just like pitchers um, i need to see it from the from the coaching staff in the front office for for longer for more than a few games so yeah <laughs> we'll just see how it goes all right well let's wrap this part up and let's go to part two all right um yep thanks everybody out there for joining us um hope you enjoyed this one and we will uh, we will come back yes to talk about the offense talk about the trade deadline and maybe to even look ahead to you know team building this off season and like you know how this team like doesn't waste what it's got right now and uh and is able to build on it and and can they so we'll talk about those things in part two along with yeah anything else that comes to mind (laughs) all right well if you decide that you've heard enough of us and i can't blame you i just want you to let you know that this next hour we're going to do is going to be fire so don't go away so fast yeah pure fire come back for round two thanks for listening (laughs) yeah have a good night